And we are again in the book of James. We have been doing we have been in James for a while now. And we're in chapter five. So we're nearing the end, guys. Chapter five, verse one through to six. James chapter five, verse one through to six. I'll be reading the ESV version. And just a reminder that as we read this together, uh, that we're reading together the word of God. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and the corrosion will be evident against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Verse 5, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Hello. Uh, good to see everyone again, and especially again, uh, good to see those who are new today. Uh, we're going to jump into this passage today. Uh, it's a bit of a heavy one. You might have kind of realized as Peter read it. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to just jump straight into it. So would you close your eyes with me for a moment as I pray? God, we come before your word, and this is your word, and this is the word that you speak to us. And so God, give us that faith to believe that you're speaking to us as we unpack the scriptures today. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would put our hearts in a posture that is ready to listen and to receive the encouragement or perhaps even the rebuke that you have in store for us. And that by doing so, that you would transform us and that we would leave today differently from how we stepped in today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're coming to the 11th sermon of this series, uh, so it's been a while, and uh, the title for today, if we can, is A Warning to the Rich. Now this passage is the harshest section in all of the book of James we've, we've been up to. In fact, it's one of the, some of the strongest language that we're going to find in all of the New Testament. I don't know if you've, you noticed, like I'm going to skip the intro, no story today, we're just going to jump straight in because it's, it's quite heavy, it's very serious. Now, even from the first verse, James says this, right? He calls this group of people that he's addressing to weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon them, right? It's very strong language. You should be crying out. You should be crying because there's judgment coming to you, right? That's how, we, that's how we're starting. And so if this is your first week to Kingsway, you know, it's not always like this, but, you know, welcome. I hope you feel comfortable. This is the passage we just happened to open up. But this, this is intense, right? This is the language of Old Testament prophets. If you turn to the Old Testament, when they're condemning the wicked and calling down the judgment of God that's going to come, this is what they say. Weep and howl, right? Because God's judgment is going to come to you. Right? This is scary stuff. It echoes uh, the language of Jesus in Matthew chapter 13. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus says this, The Son of Man will send his angels, 
And they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? This kind of idea of a judgment day that's going to come. And all of the wrongdoing, God will, you know, pour out his justice and wrath upon, and there will be weeping, he says. That's where we're at. And this is really important for us. Because the target group that James is speaking to and calling out today is a group that all of us can relate with simply because we live in Sydney and we are rich. Right, again, the title for today is A Warning to the Rich, but the reality is I could have called it A Warning to Us All because those of us who live in Sydney, we are rich and we are wealthy. And so in some way, James is speaking to us. Now, if you go to verse 1, if this, this, I don't think this thing's working. I'll just say next slide. James says, come now, you rich. Now, the rich that James is talking to, I just need to clarify, it's not all rich people. He's not condemning simply the fact that you're rich, you're condemned. That's not it. But out of the rich people, he's talking about a category of people, and they are the non-believing rich who are misusing their wealth. Non-believing rich people who are misusing their wealth. Now, if you're a non-believer, if you're not a Christian here, we're not, we're not targeting you, because James is actually speaking to all of us, whether we're Christian or not. But we think he's addressing non-believers, because normally James says stuff like brothers and sisters, or fellow believers, we don't find that here. And normally he calls people to repentance. This is how you're living, but change, but that's not what he does. He says, this is how you're living, and there's judgment. And because of this, we think he's talking to people outside the church, non-believers who are misusing their wealth. But before you think, if you're a Christian here and you're like, oh, I'm off the hook, he's talking to non-believers, we need to remember that James wrote this letter to be read out in the church. Right? So the original audience were Christians. And the reason why he does this kind of weird thing where he's talking about people who aren't in the room, it's, it's like a technique where we get to overhear God's judgment for other people. It's like uh, your siblings getting in trouble and you're like, you got your ear pressed to the door, and you get to overhear your parents, you know, rain down anger and wrath upon your sibling. And as you listen, you get to think, okay, that's not where I want to be. <laughs> that's not how I want to live, and I don't envy the things that person did or how that person is living, my sibling. I'm not going to go there. Right? That's what we get to do. We get to overhear the judgment of God and hopefully say, that's not how I'm going to live. But if you're a Christian here, as James condemns the non-believers outside the church, if you see areas of your life that you can relate with, you should feel convicted. Because James isn't even talking to Christians here. He's talking to non-Christians. And if you can see parts of that in you, they are parts of your life that need to change. There's three things I want to say to us today. Next slide. Ooh, did that work? Invest eternally. This is the first thing the non-believing rich would not do. They weren't investing eternally. What they were doing were making bad investments into decaying treasure in a fading world. They're investing into decaying treasure in a fading world. Let me read verse 2. James says, Your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. Now, James is using repetition here. And he says that their riches, their garments, their gold and silver, he says they're rotted, moth-eaten, they're corroded. All the things that you've gathered for yourself, it's decaying. 
And he's using present tense language here, suggesting that even as they hold it, it's beginning to decay. All the things that they've got for themselves, all the things that they've amassed has already begun to lose its shine and its luster, even right now. And to add to that rebuke, James says this at the end of verse 3. You have laid up treasure in the last days. And so not only are they amassing decaying treasure, but they're doing it in a world that is fading away. We're at our last days, he's saying. This world is going to come to an end. God will, Jesus will return soon and he will bring judgment. And everything in this world will go away. Again, James echoes the words of Jesus, right? His brother. And I think that's, that's, we find this quite often in James. And I think it's like because Jesus is his brother. But he says in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this. Do not lay out for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay out for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Treasures on earth, the things we're amassing here right now, Jesus says, they're frail and finite, decaying treasure in a fading world. Rather, Jesus says, the better, the smarter investment is to invest into the things of heaven, because there, things do not decay. They don't fade away. They will last forever. Right In the 1900s, some of the world's most experienced, most intelligent engineers, they got together, and with the most advanced technology, they built the safest, the largest, the most luxurious ship of all time. This ship could fit 3,500 passengers. It had pools, gyms, squash courts, Turkish baths, cafes, and elevators. And most importantly, this ship was deemed unsinkable. But only four days later, 15th of April, 1912, this unsinkable ship sank, right? The Titanic hit an iceberg and it went under. The unsinkable ship that everyone wanted to pour their life's investment into just to be on, it went down. And many people live life as if we're on an unsinkable ship, as if we're going to live forever, as if the things that we have are secure, But the reality is, this life, this ship is sinkable and is actually sinking right now. All of us, that's our destination. You can't escape it. Eventually, we will die. We will no longer live on this earth. Now imagine as the Titanic is sinking or you're on a sinking ship and the sirens are wailing and people are screaming and then you find me in my room and I'm decorating. You come into my room and I'm like, oh, you, you got to see this. And I show you my, my newest painting. I'm like, do you see this amazing painting? As, as the ship's like going down. This amazing painting. I got it for real cheap from the guy next door. I don't know why, but he gave it to me at a good price. I'm like, look at my painting. I'm like, look at my carpet. It's handmade. Isn't it beautiful? And the water's beginning to soak the carpet. But I'm like, it's so beautiful, right? What would you say to me? You grab me and you look at my eyes and say, Paul, you're a fool. Right? You're investing into decaying treasure in a fading world. You're amassing these things, but this ship is going down. You're wasting your life. And that is James's rebuke to the non-believing rich. All that you've amassed, it's fading. It's a fading world. You can't keep it. 
Now for non-believing people, for non-Christians, to store up treasures on earth is a bad investment, but it's kind of understandable, isn't it? If this is the only life you know, if this is all I have, well, I might as well gather as much as I can in the life that I have. But what about for the Christian? You know, there's someone more foolish than the person who invests into a sinking ship. The person who's more foolish than a person who invests into a sinking ship is the Christian who invests into a sinking ship. Because a Christian is like a person on a ship that's going down, but you have a place on an island just over there. And that island will never sink, it will never go down. Everything that you put there will last forever. That's the Christian. That's what we claim. We claim that we are gonna go to heaven. That's my home. I'm only passing through this life. I'm secure. I'm gonna be with God for all eternity. And so the Christian is really the bigger fool when they invest into this world, when we're not made for this world. And so again, in this passage, James is calling us to wisdom, right? It's been a common theme. Apply what you know. What do you know about God and eternity and where you're going to head to? Don't just know those things, but does it show up in your life? And James says this in verse 3. He says, your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you. And what does he mean by that? What James means is one day, everything that we've stored up on this earth will be proof. And maybe for the outside world, it will be proof that they have lived for earth because they've amassed all these things on earth. But what about for us? When we stand before God, will we say things like, God, I live for you. Heaven is my home. All these things, I don't love these things. I love you more than everything else. And we, we might claim these things. But what will our bank account say? Or what will our wallet say? What will our money trail say? Because all of that will be evidence. And what James is saying is that our wallet speaks louder than our words. And you follow your bank trail, and that will be evidence to what you really loved on this earth. Right, we just sang this song, right? My worth is not in what I own. And we're like, yeah. And then we're just like, keep amassing treasure. That, does, that doesn't work. James is rebuking the way of the non-Christian. And it kind of makes sense for them. But if you're a Christian here, it doesn't make sense for us. Now, I don't know about you, but as I hear this, you know, even as I say this, it's a challenge. Right? It's humbling. It's humbling to hear James say that this is how they live. Because the reality is I can see these things in my life. I can see how I love to get more money and buy more things and just amass things on this earth. So often I'm not even thinking about eternity. I'm just focused on the here and now. My friends, we're just passing through. We're just, we're just a blip on earth and eternity in heaven. Right? I don't know if you've seen that analogy. It's like if, if our time on earth is a dot and you draw an arrow that keeps going down, and that's eternity in heaven. And we're just passing through momentarily here. And we should invest into the life to come. That is how we should live. And that is how we should think. Invest eternally. Right? That's the first encouragement for us. Second, serve sacrificially. 
Right? This is the second thing that they did not do. They didn't serve sacrificially. Right? So James condemns the non-believing rich because rather than serving sacrificially, they used their resources to benefit themselves even at the cost of others. Right? It was all about them, me, and what I can get. And everything else and everyone else was a means to get what I want. Right, so verse 4, James says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Right, James is saying that the wages that you're meant to give to the laborers, you've kept back. You haven't paid them. Right? You've defrauded them. Now, back in the context of James, there was an increasing amount of land that was being owned by a very small number of people. So a very few number of people were getting rich and richer and owning more, and more people were getting poor. And so what happened was that a lot of farmers had nowhere to you know, plant seeds and harvest, and so they'd hire themselves out to these wealthy landowners right, so that they can work and hopefully get some money for the day. And we see this context in Matthew chapter 20. If you know the parable of the vineyard, Jesus tells this parable where a master goes out to the marketplace and there's a whole bunch of people and he goes, you, 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 come work for me today. Right? That's the context. The farmers are just waiting to, be, to get picked. And this master gets these people to work and in the parable, the master goes back out five times. Back to the marketplace, and every time he goes out, he sees a bunch of people still waiting. Even with one hour left of the workday to go, he goes out, and there's people still waiting. And that's just the state of people. They, they were just so desperate to get some work, and they were at the whim of these wealthy people. If they don't hire me, I'm stuffed. Right? And in this parable, at the end of the day, the master pays everyone who worked. And people were paid daily. It wasn't fortnightly, monthly. It wasn't anything like that. And the reason why he pays them daily is because those people, if they weren't paid that day, they might not eat. People were living day by day. If they didn't, they didn't get paid, they might not be able to feed their family. Right? So when Jesus teaches us the Lord's Prayer, he says, give us today our daily bread. Because that's how often people lived, day by day. And that's the power dynamic at play here. And I say that so we can understand when James says, you have kept money from these people, just how shameful it is. These wealthy people who have so much money and food are holding back their daily bread. These people might starve. These people might die. And kind of to make it worse, James says, the laborers have mowed your fields And he talks about the harvesters, which means this is harvest season. All of the crops have been reaped and shoved into the barns of the wealthy. This is when they're the wealthiest. Their barns are full. And still they're unwilling to pay the money that was due to the farmers. Now we're sitting here like, oh, I don't own a farm. Right? What does this have to do with me? Unless you own uh, your own business, you're probably not the one handing out money. But it's still relatable to us, because here's what's going on. At the heart of this is a person who's willing to use their resources to benefit themselves at the cost of others. That's really what's going on at the heart. These people are saying, I'm going to get what I want. 
and I'm going to use you to get what I want. You're here to get me what I want. It's about me, and you're kind of like collateral damage. And unfortunately, when you look around the world, this is how life works. People are living lives, thinking about themselves, busy trying to use anything and anyone to benefit me. And maybe you see that at work. People are just scrambling to climb to the top and stepping on other people and stepping on each other and backstabbing each other. And, you know, your interns, I don't really care about what, how to grow you. I'm caring about how you can help me, and it's about me. It's a dog-eat-dog world. Sometimes even friendships are like that, unfortunately. Sometimes people are like, does this friend benefit me? Are they worth having in my life? How can they help me? Do they network me to the right people? Not that I think that way. I heard some people think that way. James looks outside the church and he condemns the non-believing rich because they live for themselves. And James says this is not the way of the Christian. And this is not the way of the Christian because this is not the way of Christ. You see, Jesus had limitless power and authority. He had limitless resources. But his life was also marked by service helping others. You see, a person usually uses their resources to benefit themselves at the cost of others, but Jesus, he benefited others at the cost of himself. Right? That's the way of Christ. It wasn't, what can you do for me? Right? Jesus came to earth and he's thinking, what can I do for you? And I'm willing to pay the price. I'm willing to sacrifice in order to help you. Right? What an upside down way of thinking. This is sacrificial service. And so God becomes a man to save sinners. And as Jesus lived, he teaches and heals and he helps other people. Right? We learned last week, Jesus went to the cross. You know, Jesus didn't have to go to the cross. He didn't have to stay on the cross. He had all the power to come off that cross. He could have sent angels down to kill the people who put him on the cross. He could have sent fire from heaven to kill the people around him. And yet he stayed there, sacrificed his reputation and his life because he wanted to help others. That's the way of Christ, and that's the way of the Christian. And James says that's not how it works out there. And the implication is this is how it works in here. Christians live sacrificially, serving other people. For the outside world, You see, their goal is amassing treasures on earth. And so everything else and everyone else is a means for me to get there. So I'm going to step on you so I can get richer, get the promotion, so I can get more in this earth. That's my goal, and so you're my means. But I said for the Christian, in point one, that's not our goal anymore. We're not living for this earth. And so all of those things that we once used to chase, money, Right? Wealth, reputation, power, authority, those things are no longer the goal. They can become the means. And we use those things to help others. I'm not chasing money anymore, but I use money to help others. Right? I use my position at work not just to get richer or better or higher, but I use my position to help others. Right? That's the life of the Christian. Our goal is now things of heaven. We live for the glory of God and for the good of other people. And everything on earth is used for that goal. We can live sacrificially, serving others, because 
we live for heaven. And so when you look at your life and all that you have and all the money or the power or the position you have, do you feel like you're helping others? Or are you only thinking about me and how other things, other people can help me? Now, I was speaking to our, our King's Kids ministry leader this week, and um, she was sharing how she's got problem at work. She's got a team under her, and there's a particular guy who's underperforming. And everyone else in the team has come to her and complained about this guy, right? And she was sharing how she's like agonizing about the situation. And I was so humbled as I listened to her. Because her approach wasn't, this guy sucks. I've got to fire him. You know, he's horrible. No one likes him. Oh, such a nuisance. Her approach was, how can I help this guy? Or how can I communicate his flaws in a way that's beneficial for him? And she was sacrificing her time. She, she spent 30 minutes after work just sitting down with this guy trying to help him. Or wasting time and energy and thought, agonizing over how to help that person. You know, using your authority, not just to benefit you, but to help those under you, right? That's what it is. And that's what James calls us to do. Whatever resources you have to help other people. Now, if you're at work, that's a balance. You can't be like always patient and be like, don't worry. Like, oh, you didn't do your job again. Don't worry. At a certain point, fire the person, right? You've got, you got a job to do. They've got a job to do, right? In the workplace, I'm not saying there's no limit, but be gracious. Be patient. Right? Don't always think about yourself, right? There's a, there's a middle ground between I'm only thinking about myself and it's okay no matter what you do, right? There's a middle ground here. And Christians are called to think of others. Our career, our promotion, our money, the things of ourselves are not the highest priority. We live to serve God and serve other people. So this is the second thing that I encourage us to do. Serve sacrificially. It's not necessarily the way of the world, right? But, you know, we do see a lot of service in the outside world as well. But the third thing, this is where we end up. The first two lead to this one. Now, for the non-believing rich, because they lived for earth and they only thought about themselves, James condemns them because this life of luxury and self-indulgence led to murdering other people. Right? That's what he says. You've murdered other people. Right, so let me explain. Verse 5. James says, you have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. Now, this word luxury means you've lived delicately. You lived a pampered, comfortable life. And he says, you've lived in self-indulgence. You've taken pleasure. It's like the prodigal son who goes out to do what he wants and lives the life he wants and then ends up with nothing. He says, that's how you lived. And as a result, they've killed two people. Number one, you've fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You've killed yourself. Now, this is like point one. Um, but if, if you get like squeamish about animals uh, dying, you want to block your ears. But the image he gives is this animal kind of like eating. And like, oh, this is good for me. This is good for me. Oh, it's so good for me. Without knowing, like, they're leading to their own, like, death. Do you know what I mean? Like, because you're, oh, and you get big, you get fat, right? And he's like, that's what you're doing. What you, you think what you're doing is good and comfortable, but really you're just fattening your heart 
because the day of judgment is going to come, and you're leading to your own death and demise. Right? That's like point one. But here's the thing, the second one. He says, verse six, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Right? What a harsh accusation. James says to the non-believing rich, you are murderers. Right? How are they murderers? By withholding the pay of the farmers and letting them starve, they are allowing them to die. And in that sense, they have allowed murder. By amassing luxuries for themselves, they have withheld necessities from other people. By amassing luxuries for themselves, they've withheld necessities from other people. They have so much, their barns are full, but there's always more. There's always the next thing. There's always the new upgrade. And so they're, they're scrambling for more and more. And as they keep trying to feed their life of luxury and pleasure, they're withholding the needs of other people. I'm planning for my next want. And in the process, I'm not letting you have your present needs. That's the life and mentality of the rich. And again, that's because they're living for earth and they're not serving others, they're serving themselves. And in the process, they're letting people suffer and die. Now, we're probably not defrauding others and withholding their food money and letting them starve. But perhaps we are amassing luxuries for ourselves and withholding necessities from other people around the world. You see, in this life, in a sin-stained world, poverty still runs rampant. People right now are dying because they don't have water and food. And I know they're not right next to us. They're kind of far away. We close our eyes. We ignore it. We live day to day. But the reality is every time we hold on to our wealth, uh, we're deciding to withhold charity. And I don't want to guilt trip us. I'm not saying you can't enjoy life or buy anything. But again... If the Christian's not living for earth and li they're living for heaven, and if those things I once used to chase like money are no longer the goal, but I'm using that to sacrificially serve others, then that means we're postured, we're ready to, to save lives. We can use that money to actually make a difference to people around the world right now. And if anything, Christians should be the most generous around the world because we don't live for this earth. Now that's what James is calling us to do, to save lives. Back in 2009, I was in Thailand. I'd spent a few months there, and I sent out this email. It was like a guilt trip email to a bunch of people. Um, I was in uh, Western Thailand in a place called Mesot. It's um, in the border of Thailand and Burma or Myanmar. And uh, street kids would sneak through the border. They're not meant to. They sneak into Thailand so that they could beg on the streets because they get more money on the Thailand side. And I was helping out this organization called Compassio that was helping these street children. And so I'd hang out with these street children. Um, and I tried to generate some fundraising. And I sent out this email. And I don't know, maybe a few of us got it. I'm sorry, it's super guilt trippy. Um, but in the email, I was like this. $10 for you. And this is 2009, so inflation is kind of different. $10 for you is a cheap meal. Right, we can't even buy a meal anymore. Ten bucks for you is a cheap meal. 
But 10 bucks in Thailand is a proper lunch for a street kid and 24 of his friends. Right? He'll feed 25 kids. I said, $50 for you is less than half a day's work. Right? The reality is it's an hour or two for us here. But it's a month's work for the people there. And it provides a week's worth of food, 50 bucks. A week's worth of food for three families. 100 bucks for you is your registration to the next conference or thingy. But for them, it's a month's worth of rent for that organization to house all the street kids that they're taking care of. And parents would come to this organization to say, I can't take care of my kids. I don't have the means. I don't have the money. Can you just take care of them? And so this organization was taking care of these street kids and housing them, feeding them, and teaching them. And 100 bucks would pay for a month's worth of rent. And in that email, I, was, like, I thought of that and I looked it up. What's insignificant for us? Five bucks, right? Ten bucks, 50 bucks. It's very significant for them. You know, even if you gave $100... In a week or a month's time, you wouldn't even think about it. If you gave $500, most of us, our lives would not be devastated. That's, that's the reality. If we gave $500, we won't be worried, where am I going to sleep? What am I going to eat? We don't think about that stuff. But that $500 can help solve that problem for someone overseas. Right? Not just for a day or for a week or for a month, but much longer than that. That's the position we're in. I know we don't like hearing stuff like this. Bible talks a lot about money. It's very important. It shows a lot about, again, do we really believe where we're headed? Do we really live for eternity? Am I really here to serve others? So I want to challenge us in this area. Let me summarize and say where we've been. Number one, invest eternally. Don't make bad investments into decaying treasure in a fading world. Invest into heaven. Number two, serve sacrificially. If your goal is change and you're living for heaven, now those things that you once chased, money can now be a means to serve others and serve God. Now, I'm not trying to benefit me at the cost of you. I'm trying to benefit you at the cost of me. Right? That's how we live. And number three, now we're ready, ready to save lives. And we save lives physically, feeding them, housing them, providing, and spiritually teaching people about Jesus so that they have hope, not only in this life, but the life to come. Now, as we close Kingsway, I'm going to challenge us. You know, one of our values here at Kingsway is radical generosity. We want to be radically generous as a church. Jesus has been so generous to us. God died on the cross in my place for my sins. And in a response, we want to be generous to him, generous to others, and generous to the world. And so what I want to challenge us to do is to give. Now, this is just a one-off thing, but really, I just want to kind of put into our lives a habit of giving. And you don't have to, if you're giving anywhere, you don't have to do this. But there's a lot of stuff going on right now. You can give to Ukraine. You can give to Afghanistan. Um, but I, I found this thing on the Compassion website. It's called the Gift of Compassion. And they list here, five bucks. That's coffee for us. It provides fruit and veggie seeds for a family. Right? And they give them training on how to grow these seeds. And then it provides food. 
15 bucks is a meal for us. You can buy a chicken for a family. You give them finances, they can have eggs, and they can sell the eggs, right? It helps them in various ways. Maybe your meal is 20 bucks. Some meals are 20 bucks. You can get them a Bible. I don't know why the Bible's more expensive than a chicken, but I don't know how that, leather bound or something. Um, Give them a Bible in their own language. And really, you can't put a price on God's word, right? They can learn about Jesus, have eternal life, and know God's love for them. You know what? The reality is some meals are like 45 bucks, and you can buy a goat with that. I don't know if you had a meal for 45 bucks this week. Okay. With a goat, they can have an ongoing supply of milk. They can start generating cash flow, uh, sell the milk, and they can have manure for soil, right, which helps them with their crops as well. This is the last one, 70 bucks. Our day conference is 80 bucks, but it's free for you. But that 70 bucks or 80 bucks can provide clean water to a family and children. And clean water, you know, it's so obvious to us. It's like, we don't think about that. We turn the tap, clean water comes out. We can drink out of the water, you know, that, that we get in Sydney. People around the world don't have clean water. Without clean water, you've got diseases. They can't wash. They can't clean their food. Providing clean water is life-changing. 70 bucks gives um, a children and family clean water. Compassion says 785 million people around the world don't have clean water. And there's more. If you go on the website, $300, you can get a cow, $5,000, toilet block, $12,000, you can provide a whole village with water. And I put at the back, there's these yellow envelopes with pictures on top. I put these things and a few more there. If you want to go have a look, and we've got envelopes at the back, if you want, I don't want to guilt trip us, you know, if the Holy Spirit's working. Have a look um, and fill out your name if you want. You can keep it anonymous, what you're donating to. If you're giving cash or bank transfer, if it's bank transfer, just write bank transfer, but put your name there and then put how much you're giving and just put that into the tithing envelope. And I'm going to gather all that and we're going to give. And I'm doing this not just because I think it will make a tremendous difference for the people that we give. I mean, you're thinking, five bucks, will it really make a difference? Somewhere around the world, it's going to make a difference to someone's life. But really, also, I, I think it will make a tremendous difference for us. Just to punch a hole in our wallets and our hearts that we might begin to pour out love to people around the world. Right? So that we could grow to be generous people. Right? Would you close your eyes and would you pray with me? As we pray, none of this, I don't want any of this to be burdensome for us, Uh, especially if you're new or you're not a Christian, um, feel free to not think about giving. Uh, I just want you guys to get to know church, get to know Jesus, that's most important. But if you're a Christian here today, we have so much. We have everything we need in Jesus and more. I look at my life and I'm filthy rich. The things I worry about and I wish I had, 
are such selfish, unnecessary luxuries. And if I really just had eternity on my mind and I was willing to let go of what I have because it doesn't matter so much anymore, willing to serve others and not live for myself, I think my wallet would be much more open and freer. And I just want us to wrestle with what we have in Christ, how much is given to us, how full our lives are, how secure we are for all of eternity. Thank Him, praise Him, and maybe open up your life to be generous. It doesn't have to be in this way. Maybe you're already being generous, supporting a sponsored child or giving to needs and outside of the church. That's fine. You don't have to do anything today. But I just want us to steward our money well because one day it will be evidence of how we have lived, regardless of what we said and regardless of how we sang. What does our wallet say about us? And so let's come to God, surrender our lives, thank Jesus for giving us so much and then surrender us to Him today. Let's make that our prayer and then we'll sing a song. Let's pray.